Hello and welcome. My name is Rudy Clavi. It's so great to be with you. I am coming to you from a very, very hot Dubai. This is COP28 All Access with me, Rudy Kadi, in Dubai at the United Nations Climate Change Conference, otherwise known as COP28. Thousands, and I mean thousands of delegates are here, made up of world leaders, community activists, scientists, environmentalists, financiers like the World Bank and the IMF. The private sector is also represented here. So this is a four-part special edition podcast on Investec Focus Radio SA. I will be speaking to some of those people as we try to make sense of COP28 and assess what it means for us, what it means for our continent, and really what it means for our world. Lots of negotiations happen here. It's very easy to be cynical about uh, these climate conferences, but they are important. And um, they are important in a sense that the world is participating in negotiations over how to address the climate crisis, limit global temperature, rise to 1.5 degrees and support vulnerable communities to adapt. Adaptation is a key. Adaptation finance has divided nations, has divided the global north and the global south with questions around who must fund the just transition, who must help poorer nations uh, adjust to adjust and adapt to the climate crisis, given that they are not the biggest polluters in the world. The countries with the money are the biggest polluters. So do they have a moral responsibility to finance our just transition? As ever, the agenda at COP28 is jam-packed. Issues up for discussion will include the controversial loss and damage fund. There was an audible sigh of relief when this was launched and agreed upon, but the question is, how do you operationalize it? Climate finance for developing countries, the phasing out of fossil fuels, plans to accelerate just transitions, the global goal on adaptation, and much, much more. So, what does Africa, a continent disproportionately affected by the impacts of the climate crisis, need most from these negotiations? We are asking this question. They say money makes the world go round. And for Africa, the issue of money at COP28 will determine whether Africans will be able to respond to the climate crisis. I do think that the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, reflected the crisis, the contestation and the tensions so succinctly in the following clip. He, he was asked, basically, to, to just respond to the loss and damage fund, how he sees the problem. I followed him around at various press conferences, and this is what he had to say. There are interests that uh, uh, do not want the climate agenda to go forward because uh, uh, that uh, would be negative uh, for uh, those interests. Uh, if you look at many in the fossil fuel industry, they continue to double down in investments in exploration and not uh, leading the transition for renewables. Uh, uh, you, you see many other sectors uh, uh, in which uh, the pollution uh, is their profit margin. So there are many interests in society that are still opposed climate action. And on the other hand, let's be frank, we, each one of us, we sometimes also do not take care about our own carbon footprint. Yes. Um, so uh, we need to change 
our habits, we need to change uh, the way we behave in many aspects. So, on one hand, the negative interests in society that are powerful and try to avoid governments to take the right decisions because they would undermine their own profits or their own um, uh, interests. And on the other hand, uh, because sometimes all of us do not yet apply in our lives what we say that needs to be done. That's the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. I think what we can take away from what he said is that there are different interests, and that's exactly what is causing contestation. You want a transition from fossil fuels that are damaging our environment, but a lot of our economies, especially in poorer countries, are powered by fossil fuels like coal. Do you want such nations to jettison their economic plan, quickly transition to a point where they're not ready they lose jobs, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the skills for a green economy. Or do you support them to transition? They too cannot take too much time because they lose some of that funding. So there are all sorts of contestations. There's also contestation around the moral responsibility of the biggest polluters. Do they have a responsibility to contribute to a loss and damage fund? That's all up for grabs here. But we as South Africa also need to start having these conversations. We have an energy crisis that is bringing our economy to its knees, uh, load shedding. Let's call it a blackout because that's what it is. But the minister has been quite, quite upbeat here at COP28. Minister Barbara Creasy, she has launched uh, a very bold uh, climate offering a very bold program for the transition, calling other nations to support it. She also announced that it will be funded by money from our partners like the United States and Germany and so on. So if the money is there, what then does our just transition look like? How then do we phase out these fossil fuels? What leadership do we need in the global south to ensure that our transition is just. Minister Barbara Chrissy has been up and about. Let's hear what she had to say at a conference earlier, speaking on a just transition, a clean transition, and the resources to fund it. So the concept of justice in this implementation plan is that those who are going to be affected by the transition must be directly consulted. Not via via, but as, as individuals who will be affected. Included in this plan is the idea that justice means that the alternatives can't be top-down, they must be co-created. And that when we talk about alternative livelihoods, those who will experience those livelihoods and enjoy those livelihoods must design them and benefit from them. Included in this plan is the idea of restorative justice, which means that if we're going to embark on a journey to achieving a green transition, that transition must help us with unemployment and poverty and inequality and energy security and all the things that South Africans want for a decent life. We must not have to choose between meeting climate objectives 
and meeting our sustainable development goals. All right, that is Barbara Creasy. She's the Minister of Forestry, Fisheries and Environmental Affairs. She's here at COP. I've been following her around, giving different uh, press conferences, and she's just articulated the plan for South Africa's bold transition and the resources, and I'm talking a lot of money, that will be needed uh, to realize our goals. Now, We'll continue the conversation shortly, but if you are enjoying the podcast and don't want to miss out on the next episode, please follow Invest Tech Focus Radio South Africa wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation. If there is one go-to person for all matters related to our just transition, the politics, the differences, conversations about what is at stake, Dr. Crispian Alder. Who is he? Well, he is very high up in the President's uh, Climate Commission. It's called the Presidential Climate Commission, the PCC, and he is the Executive Director thereof. And it is all to ensure that we create the right collaborations, the right partners, we follow the right science, and we lobby at the very, um, at, at the right level. This is very important for all countries. And adaptation is very much on the agenda. He'll tell us a little bit more about that. We already see that droughts, floods, cyclones, for instance, have already contributed to thousands of deaths and forced many people to migrate. This is leading to competition over resources and sometimes even conflict. Failure to adapt quickly enough is similarly worrisome. Durban has faced floods. Cape Town, we had water shortages. We've had droughts in our own country. We have floods. Our neighbors are experiencing those. Tanzania and last couple of days, many of the worst affected people are living in makeshift houses and they've moved to those after previous floods destroyed their homes. So this is very real for so many of our countries. It's not just us uh, in poorer parts of the world, but in the United States, we've seen raging, raging, raging fires in California, for example. So the whole world is dealing with this. The climate crisis is a global and people all across the world need to adapt to changes it brings. Let's find out then from Dr. Olva, what is at stake, what a fair transition would look like, and what are priorities as South Africans. Are you tired yet from COP28? Uh, really, this place is very energizing. You know, there are 80,000 people here. Yeah. Uh, there's the world of the negotiators haggling over text and uh, you know international agreements. And then there's this very vibrant world that's happening here in the green zone and all the side events in the blue zone, which is like a parallel comp where a whole lot of side hustles, deals, lobbies, you know, there's a lot of business being transacted outside of the formal negotiations. So we as the South African delegation, we've got a pavilion here. Uh, and we've been using that pavilion. I mean, there are many different companies, NGOs, civil society. We here as the commission. And we've been showcasing different aspects of our own transition. What's happening in Mpumalanga? How do we think about the transition? Where are the employment opportunities? How are we going to make sure this is a just transition? 
that works for communities and workers in the value chains. I've loved the fact that there is a strong media presence, and I've covered a lot of COP uh, um, conferences, and I've always felt that there is a lot of focus on what is not being done, yeah. the politics of it, which are very, very important, but the granular details, the projects, the outcomes, the uh, exactly what you're saying, projects in Mpumalanga, often that's not in the mainstream media. And I wonder whether we get in some way in terms of making energy transition and the climate crisis really uppermost in the minds of ordinary South Africans because they bear the brunt, right, of the climate crisis. Yeah. Look, this is something that's going to affect every South African in a very direct way. Um, Energy transitions are not easy. We've got to move from a fossil fuel-dominated world to a low-carbon world. And that means that there's fundamental systemic change in the way we use energy, the way we generate energy, the way our electricity grid is built, uh, our transport systems, our agriculture and food systems. Uh, and we need to prepare for a much warmer world. You know, and unfortunately, we're... Yeah, you know, I think we're going to overshoot the one and a half degree target, and we need to prepare for the impact that's going to have on energy, on food, on water. Uh, so these are fundamental things. They they cut to the very heart of our development as a country. So we need to communicate a lot better with people on the ground because. They're the ones that are going to feel this change. And we need to open up channels so that people feel part of this transition. I mean, you know, if you survey the average South African, they will say, no, there's some elite deals being done somewhere else. There's this global elite that gathers here at these climate conferences. They're making decisions, but they're not involving us. We're not part of these decisions. And I think that's a very real concern and we've, you know, if we don't address it in the way that we structure this transition, it's going to fail. We're not going to take people along with us. What does a just transition look like for South Africa when you consider that we, like other countries, I suppose, have so many interests to balance? We have a very strong labor force in South Africa, labor-intensive yeah. economy uh, that has been powered by coal. Yeah. We, we don't need to get into the politics, but we've heard the minister uh, express his views around how we transition decision, how quickly we go into uh, uh, renewables. And even here at COP28, there was some controversy when the CEO of COP28 kind of questioned yeah. the science and so on. So let's just... Yeah, phase out versus yeah, phase down. Let's just address the elephant in the room because it yeah. can lead to people being skeptical, number one. It can also uh, lead to people questioning whether any of this is, is necessary. But also, where the money is coming from yeah. also raises some anxiety. What is the quality of that financing? And can we trust that the Global North has good intentions? Yeah, no, completely. Uh, very valid questions. So, look, to me, this whole transition hinges on livelihoods. And we talk a lot about the coal value chain and the 80,000 coal workers that are going to be affected as we move out of coal. We also need to think about the other sectors of the economy. I mean, there's the 100,000 workers working in automobile production. 
and the 100,000 plus people in the supply chains linked to that, the mechanics, the petrol station attendants. Um, uh, if we don't transition to EVs rapidly, we're going to lose our automobile production capacity in the country. There are a whole range of other trade-exposed sectors, you know, iron and steel, aluminium, uh, green minerals, uh, all of which, you know, if we transition too slowly, uh, we, we're at risk of being shut out of the global trading system and finding that those uh, economic sectors get obliterated. So there's some very important decisions in front of us. Um, it, you know, how fast do we want to transition as a country? We don't want to transition so fast that we liquidate whole sectors of the economy before we've built out new mm. sectors. But we don't want to be so slow that we are shut out of global trading markets, we lose out on the technologic, technological innovation, and we lose out on the climate finance. Just on the finance question, um, you know, we've been fighting for years that those that have caused this crisis through their historical emissions, the developed countries of the North, need to come to the party and put the finance on the table that enables the developing world to transition. So we've been demanding this money for a long time. Uh, they haven't put enough on the table, in our view, but they have put something on the table. So, you know, I would argue very strongly we must take what's on the table, uh, provided there are no strings attached to it. So we must use that money for our own development purposes. We must fight for more. And then we've got to take the, this limited pool, this $8.5 billion, which is we've now actually got a little bit more. We've got $12 billion. Uh, we must use it to leverage up our own resources. Yeah. You know, South Africa's got really deep capital markets. We've got a banking sector that works well. We've got uh, extensive pension funds. Um, and that's a huge resource as we go into this transition. So we need to take the 8.5, the 12, leverage it up, blend it appropriately, um, and then use it to target the, the, the sectors of our economy that we want to grow. Mm -hmm. Change is very difficult. <laughs> uh, it is also so very overwhelming. And even in the face of evidence, when the way we do business has been proven to be harmful, it is still very difficult to embrace change. So if any uh, skeptical South Africans, or those who are not persuaded, those who are scared, uh, are wondering, so what's with this COP28? What's with the climate conversations? What would be your, your, your message to them around how they can understand the importance of these negotiations? So, uh, look, the, wor the world is at a very dangerous tipping point. Um, we are at, at you know, the window to get to one and a half degrees of global warming is rapidly closing. And if we don't take decisive action here, we are going to be living in a two or three degree warmer world with devastating consequences for communities and people on the ground. 
So getting ambition here is important. The argument we've been making as the developing world and as the Africa bloc is that we want that transition to be a just transition. It's got to take account of the global inequities in trade and finance and the financial architecture. And it's got to take account of the extreme inequalities and poverties in, in, in developing countries. So the central argument we're fighting for is justice and ambition go hand in hand. For, for the developing world, if you want us to be more ambitious and to achieve our climate targets, we've got to be able to make it work for people on the ground. We've got to bring jobs and supply chains. We want to develop our green minerals for the future green economy. We want to be players in the future global economy. Yeah. And uh, that's the battle that's being fought here. It's a battle about equity, and it's a battle about ambition. Okay. I think that's a good place to leave it. And I heard what you were talking about with uh, global warming and rising temperatures. I heard, we're going to conclude with a clip from the Executive Director of the United Nations Environmental uh, Program. I thought that she really simplified what it feels like to be in this context of global warming because it is so hot, so hot here in Dubai. And she referenced the cooling system and saying that's what we'll achieve for our planet Earth if we just cool things that if we reach our targets and become intentional about that. But Dr. Crispin Olvac, thank you very much thank for you your have. time. Thanks indeed. Let's just play out with this clip, what it feels like to cool the planet. We understand that measures to reduce emission by over 60% by 2050 can save $22 trillion, reduce peak load demand by 1.5 to 2 terawatts. So incorporating passive cooling, which I think we all know when we walk around this beautiful campus, the moment we are under a shaded area, the moment that we are where trees are, we understand immediately what cooling means, what passive cooling and how it works. We also understand some of the design when the breeze just floats right through and we feel a little bit cooler. That is smart building and we have experienced it. Thank you for listening to this Investec Special Edition podcast series. Please take a moment to rate the show. Don't forget to follow Investec Focus Radio Essay on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'll be back with another COP28 All Access episode. And this time around, we are focusing less on government, but more on business. Let's call it the business roundtable. What sort of solutions, what sort of innovations, what sort of responsibility does business take? What does it bring to the table to get us closer to our goals? The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Bank Limited, an authorized financial services provider and registered credit provider.